The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Who knows? Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. That is what's in. Baseball Barbacast is back. We are churning out these episodes because the baseball postseason demands it. On this here episode of Baseball Barbacast, we're going to talk about the ALCS, which is finally set. It took <laughs> it took some time, uh, but now we know it will be the Yankees and the Astros. So we'll get to that just as we preview the NLCS. Uh, Jake is in San Diego. It is uh, 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and that is why he sounds a little bit sleepy, and that's okay. But he's here uh, because the Barbacast is what's in, and that is what he needs to do. He needs to get on here and let us know that it appears that Kyle Schwarber perhaps is going to cruise. What, what, what do we think about game one of the NLDS before we, or NLCS before we move to the Yankees and the Astros? Going to cruise is a very funny way to describe a 488-foot home run. It was absurd. Mm-hmm. Game one of the NLCS was very simple, Jordan. It was Zach Wheeler putting on his biggest boy pants and you Darvish just making two mistakes, and that was it. The Padres got one hit all night long. The Phillies had three hits all night long. Two of them were solo home runs, and they won two to zero. Bryce Harper, the a great Bryce Harper home run that really only he can hit. Like yes. Judge kind of has these sometimes, but they don't go as high mm-hmm. because when a Harper hits one to the opposite field, mm-hmm. it looks like a foul ball yes. off the bat, right? And mm-hmm. then it's over the fence. And the Bryce Homer was great. Uh, on first glance, it looked like a totally reasonable pitch, although Nola definitely wanted the sinker down and it was up. And Harper is much better at elevating when it is up. And he did that. And But to your point, it looked like a pop-up because he's so freaking strong, though. Now, the Kyle Schwarber one did not look like a pop-up. So I want to talk about our, our respective reactions and experiences with the Kyle Schwarber home run. The first thing is that I was watching the game on mute. So that is an important uh, part of this. The second thing is, so when Kyle Schwarber hits the home run, when, when you see a ball, if you're watching a game on mute and you see a ball that is absolutely crushed, you you can tell before it cuts to where the ball is going. You can tell sometimes based on the, the pitcher and the batter reaction. But what I couldn't tell is I didn't hear Joe Davis screaming, right? And so I saw it hit. And I was like, oh, and the way Schwarber reacted was also almost looked like it was more pulled, like almost closer to foul than, than it actually was. And then I realized, oh my God. And then I saw it where it landed and I said, oh my God, I've never seen that before. And then I said, oh my God, that's like one, I said to, I said to Bailey, I said, that's like 115 off the bat, at least like 460. That's what I said. That's at least 115. That's at least 460. And the fact that it cleared that comfortably <laughs> goes to show and you saw the sack has records that were broken i obviously want to hear your experience in the park but i yeah there, there, there has never i that is in a very very small group of home runs that i will remember for a long time 
my experience in the front row of the press box and I was talking to our colleague at Fox, Pedro Mora, about something. Think about like a restaurant. And we just, you know, we're watching and Schwarber swings and he hits it and Pedro goes, oh, that's gone right <laughs> off the bat. And everyone knew it. And the sound of the whole thing was great, right? Because it was this enormous, you know, like when you're walking on the street and like a truck drops like the ramp on the ground and it just makes this enormous clanging sound and yes. kind of like jump. Yes. It was like that. It was just so loud. And then it was so silent in the park because people couldn't believe it. But the whole press box just was like looking at each other laughing. It was, you know, I'm um, like a kid in, in middle school during the play, like their pants fall down or something. And there was like this nervous laughter of kind of, you know, oh, my God, look at that happen. That's, That's what it was like. That is, yeah. I, and and I, I mean, I think I mentioned this uh, with one of the homers at City Field, but it's, it applies at Petco too, right? Because they moved the fences they move the fences in, and so there's like two different walls. But again, second deck at in, in Petco is not even a thought. I was thinking back to the 2016 home run derby, and now there were only, I think, two lefties in that. I think it was Corey Seager and, uh, let's see, it was Corey Seager and Carlos Gonzalez and, yeah, and, Cor- and, and Robinson Cano. And I don't remember anyone really getting up there. And, of course, part of it is that it is harder to hit it that far when the ball's only coming in, you know, at 70. Uh, and, and this is where, you know, actually getting major league Vila. Now it was a cutter, I believe, or, or maybe a slider. It was it definitely wasn't a fastball that Schwarber hit out, but still, slider. I mean, to supplying that, to supply that amount of power was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a terrible pitch <laughs> considering that Schwarber was clearly sitting on it, but man, no, he was oh, not. Man. Maybe he was sitting on it, but I asked him in the postgame press conference last night. Mm-hmm. That was my question. I was like, okay, are yeah. you sitting on slider? And he was like. Actually, no, I was sitting fastball and I just adjusted to off speed. I was like, that's crazy, first of all. <laughs> I don't you know if you're lying to you or not. How far would he be? Yeah, it could have gone 500. <laughs> Jordan, uh, anyway. one day when I grow up and, and be much bigger and stronger, I think I want to hit a ball about 800 feet. Yes, um, yes, well said. Good, uh, good, good it was pull. just incredible. No one, is, no one had ever hit a ball to the second deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked around, I asked Tony Gwynn Jr., Mm-hmm. I asked the Padres beats. No one had ever seen it, and it was confirmed. No one has ever done that before. During BP, the Phillies' like second BP group of all the guys who don't play a lot but are good vibes were bantering with one another about if someone could hit a ball there. Garrett Stubbs and, and Nick Maton were like joking around, like, do you think someone could hit it there? And Maton was like, no chance, not even in BP. And I then also, after the game, Stubbs, Stubbs said to me, enter Kyle Schwarber. Enter, <laughs> enter the grizzly bear. <laughs> I also love that because Petco homers uh, are so often thought about with the Western Metal Supply Building, right? And we've seen so many homers yanked down the line to the fourth or fifth level, which aesthetically looks amazing, but isn't actually that far. You know, it's it's still really cool to see homers hit up there. But we've seen it from guys that aren't actually that big power hitters. Like, yeah, I believe Trey Turner even hit one up there earlier this season. And it's cool. We love to see those. It's like, oh, off, off the building or on the roof. But that's that's yanked down the line. This was not a, a territory of the park that seemed in play. <laughs> as a, you're not discussing that that part of of, of the uh, of the stadium as a home run landing spot. And Schwarber was like, okay, sure. 
I think if this was hit by a Padre, we get a plaque up there. Now, mm. considering that it was not, I'm curious if they'll put anything up there. You know, right, you like can't the color seat, the, the seat. That it, yeah, yeah, not You for can't sport. color the seat for an opposing hitter, but there should be something up there. There that should said, be Kyle Schwarber did this. That said, I do. That is one of my favorite things about uh, about Utah Street at Cameron Yards is that they do put opposing opposing homers that land there as well. So, shouts out to the Orioles. Anyway, uh, and then the other big thing about this, this is that Zach Wheeler was was unbelievable. He was he was wheelering and dealering and. They 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 couldn't touch him. I mean, he was he was sensational, and and that's <laughs> that's that's what's now carried the Phillies for two series. And and even though they, they lost his his last start, he, he's he's tr- tremendous. The crowd was very different, understandably, than it was for the Dodgers series. The there was a certain like rowdiness and unhingedness, I think, during the Dodgers series that was not there last night, and that's because one, it was a four o'clock start. On or five o'clock start on a Tuesday afternoon, mm-hmm. and it wasn't against the Dodgers, right? It was much more of a relaxed feeling, like it not like a regular season game, but it wasn't standing up with every pitch. It wasn't the same level of intensity and focus, which is totally understandable, right? The Padres already won their World Series, and the Phillies already <laughs> won their World Series, and that's something that we talked about on the pod yesterday. But it's just yeah. something I noticed. Um, very briefly, Jordan, I would like to talk about that's what's in, uh, for those of you who did not understand my intro to this podcast, there's a video that went viral yesterday of a, a, what do you call a group of Padres fans? A throng, a gaggle, a horde. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I've seen a lot of kind of words thrown out for these gentlemen. So I don't know, but yes, it was, it was, it was a group of, of very passionate Padres fans, the leader of which was wearing a Tatis Jr. jersey. That that caught my attention, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, and it seemed to be on some sort of local news um, and just delivering what appeared to be a an impromptu song. Like, I can't even call it a, a diss track, although I guess that's what maybe they thought it was, being like Philly's, you know, uh, essentially the the awkward old uh, guy song equivalent to uh, you know, girls rule, boys drool is essentially Basically, what we got. And it's objectively horrible. I mean, it is bad. No one of none of them are singing. The lyrics suck. No one is committing to the bit. I think you is my can biggest hear problem. Some gonna... music sort of guiding them in the background, but I don't know what that music was. It's all incredibly bizarre, and in some ways should be dunked on because of the quality in of the entire operation. That being said, this is to fans out there. Okay? Keep making songs. Okay? Your songs Please. are great. Please. We love your songs. If you're out there and you're thinking, I want to make a song about baseball, my favorite Please team, do it. do it. Okay? Because our baseball community, especially online, is better and more fun when people are dropping tracks, okay? And that's all I have to say. You know what this makes that's me think what's of? It. I just need everyone to go look up uh, why can't you just pitch like Jesse Biddle. Now you'll understand. We just need as many songs about baseball, whether they're 30 seconds, whether they're five minutes, whether they're terrible, whether they're great, whether they're kids, whether they're old men, I don't care. Just keep them coming because they're great content and we should all be laughing at them together. I made one once 
You'll never find it because it's <laughs> on our private YouTube. That doesn't mean you didn't make it. <laughs> I made it. I made uh, it right. very, very long ago. Uh, Jordan, let us shift gears to the uh, American League division series and the American League in general. After a week's worth of rain, the New York Yankees finally just uh, finally beat the Cleveland Guardians in game five of the ALDS to win the series in advance against the Astros. Game five was a snoozer, all things considered. The highlight points. The Guardians started Aaron Savali in this game. He came out and obviously, predictably, allowed a three-run home run to Giancarlo Stanton in the first inning, and that was the baseball game. That was it. It was over right then and there. This decision to start Savali was weird. Bieber did not pitch on or was not available to start, and whether that was his decision or the team's decision is kind of unclear. And in my opinion, like pitchers who don't want to start on short rest, I don't think that should be viewed as like a lesser thing. Garrett Cole, who is, in my opinion right now, pandering to the Yankees fan base by showing up the day after he threw 100 pitches and saying he's available. Like, no, you're not. Come on. This is silly. They like you. You don't need to do this, right? He can afford to do that because he has the money already. The money is in the bank for Garrett Cole. If he, knock on wood, you know, blows out tomorrow and never pitches again, his family's good forever. Mm -hmm. Shane Bieber is not, right? He's still in arbitration. I mean, he's got more money than me and you will ever see in our entire lifetimes. But in the baseball world, he hasn't gotten the big payday. And so if he doesn't want to throw on short rest, he doesn't have to throw on short rest. That's fine. Yeah. I yeah. have no, absolutely no problem with that at all. Right. And it seemed like Bieber did want to pitch. and and But also, Cleveland also has the right to say, uh, you're really important to us. And so we're not going to risk it for a dude who's had shoulder issues you know, recently. And so that's fine. But the that's point another is, thing. That's a yeah. really big point is that yeah. he basically spent a year not being actually Shane Bieber because his shoulder was hurting. Mm -hmm. You know, he not wasn't healthy ago. for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the other thing is Garrett Cole has essentially been invincible. He's basically never, ever been hurt. And part of that is luck. And part of that is just I'm sure he believes like, yeah, I, I'm good. I'm always good. I've always been good. Anyway, the point is they go with Savali. Whether they could have started Bieber or not, they do have this amazing bullpen, which we then saw deployed over the rest of the game as planned. And people were wondering, okay, well, why didn't you just open with Trevor Steffen or open with Karinchak or open with even Henches or Dilo Santos or something? Because Savali just seemed like such a bad matchup for so many reasons. And that was what was so crappy about this, obviously waiting for it for all the days to finally get to game five. But it was just that it would go this predictably. It was just probably one of the most boring games of the postseason, like that simply. Uh, and that that sucked. Um, now, it still puts the Yankees in a weird spot, but they're happy to be moving on. And credit to them for doing what they should have done, right? Which is hit Savali and then, and then hang on. Their bullpen showed up again. Loisica, Holmes, uh, and, and, and Wandy, who we'll talk about. Uh, and Nestor was was solid besides that one inning. And uh, and yeah, they're they're moving on. I mean, you know, we said it was close, but ultimately the the Guardians' lack of thump you know, came back came back to bite him because they really just could not get anything going extra base hit wise at all. The unfortunate thing is that this Guardians team, for all their lack of thump, was an electric watch mm -hmm. all year and into the postseason. Thoroughly entertaining throughout. Mm -hmm. And it ended with such a whimper. 
And that's disappointing to me that they just, there was no moment in this game where it looked like they were going to do it. And I understand that the Cleveland, we always talk about this, right? The front offices of baseball teams know more than we do. They do. And the decisions they make are most of the time done with information we're not privy to. And so more often than not, we're dodos and they're at least process-wise correct. I don't understand the Savali start. I get getting some innings out of him, but why are you fa- having him face the top of the order? Right. It makes do it, absolutely do it for Bader, zero Trevino sense to and, me. Yeah, yeah. There were, there are ways to sneak him in the game and, and get through, but just commit. It was it it was weirdly not as inventive as you would expect a team like Cleveland to handle it, uh, especially when they had the out of the extra day and more rest from Bieber and more rest from the yeah. relievers. Like they they had a, a kind of a do over to say actually you know what, we're not going to do that. Just as the Yankees were going to start Tyon and then said, actually, we're going to go Cortez. But they didn't, and now the Yankees are moving on. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on Baseball Barbercast. And when we get back, we are going to preview the American League Championship Series because we are true Americans. San Francisco, where's your disco? This is Scott Braun from Baseball Legends Lounge, a SiriusXM podcast downloaded today to hear our in-depth conversation with Giants legend Will Clark. And I turned, and Chili Davis was on my left-hand side. He was he was one of my veterans. And I go, Chili, he's going to drill me next time up. He goes, oh, hell yeah. Download Baseball Legends Lounge right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hey, everyone. We are back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. He's Jordan. I'm Jake. The Yankees and the Astros meet again. All roads lead to Rome if Rome is Minute Maid Park because Houston will be in their sixth consecutive ALCS. Jordan, the last time that the Astros did not appear in the ALCS, you and I were in our senior year of college. Yes. Think yes. About that. that is that is correct. It was 2016. It was who was in it? It was Cleveland, Toronto, and Cleveland. Toronto, Toronto and Cleveland. Cleveland. I went to one of those games. I actually believe I covered one of those games for MLB.com. I'm I'm now remembering. Um, and yes, yes, and like Jose Bautista was just like on the blue. Like this was a long time ago. Baseball has changed a lot. The world has changed a lot. Uh, six straight ALCSs is indeed a record for the American League, uh, breaking the record of the 1970s A's. And of course, for them, they didn't have to win a division series round to get there because they just you just got the ticket if you had the best record, whatever. Uh, this Astros accomplishment is amazing, and we'll get to why they are the best team in baseball uh, shortly. But we're going to go around and tell you about all the players and then the storylines we are thinking about. So which team would you like to begin with? Well, before we do that, I want to say something about the Astros. And maybe this belongs in the who should neutrals cheer for category. (laughs) Yeah. But this team is not cheating. These players are not cheating. Now, if you don't want... I sure (laughs) hope not too. If you don't want the remaining cheaters on this team, who I believe are Guriel, Altuve, Bregman... Bregman. And offense, I guess yep. Verlander, sort of. Verlander, whatever. Lance, whatever. Sure. Yep. If you don't want them to be happy, totally get it. Don't let 
the frustration of 2017 cloud the appreciation for the innocent gentlemen surrounding the 2022 Houston Astros because they are very good and they are very good not because they're banging on cans, but because they're talented baseball players. And I don't want us as a baseball community to see Jordan Alvarez do something amazing and be like, cheater, cheater, because that makes no fucking sense. All right, let's go and start with the Astros. Jordan, behind the plate, Martin Maldonado. Yes, Martin Maldonado. Uh, the Astros, because they have so many other good hitters, they are able to deploy uh, one of the worst hitters in baseball, but one of the best defenders. That is Martin Maldonado. Him and Christian Vasquez uh, splitting time behind the dish. Their their trade deadline acquisition from Boston, who has also been a terrible hitter since he arrived in Houston. It does not appear legal to have a catcher that can hit if you are on the Astros. First base has been Yuli Gurriel. His offense has completely fallen off a cliff this season, but he is still an excellent defender at first, and you'll still see him in the lineup. He did hit pretty well uh, against the Mariners, so he's hitting back up. Second baseman, Jose Altuve. Don't need to tell you who he is, although he did just go 0 for 16 in the LDS, and that is certainly a storyline to watch as we move forward. But the thing to know about Altuve, at least this regular season, he was just all the way back. Yeah, he was, it was arguably incredible. basically his best season uh, besides his MVP year, and that is amazing, right? There were 2020, he looked awful. Last year, he at least looked less so. Uh, it's still good. And then this year, 160 OPS plus is just insane. He is a, I mean, I well, I don't want to get into a bigger discussion about this, but it looks like a Hall of Famer to me. I don't know if he will be because of obvious reasons, but I, Altuve is amazing. He just hasn't been for the last three games. Uh, at shortstop is rookie Jeremy Pena, who is a big reason why they are in this round. Uh, he, of course, hit the home run in the 18th inning against the Mariners and has been one of the best rookies in baseball all year. He's a tremendous defender. He had a two-month stretch in the middle of the season where he could not hit at all, but he picked it back up in September and has been fantastic in the postseason so far. Jeremy Pena is a great example of when I feel like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because we saw a lot of Jeremy Pena in the Dominican Winter League. And I remember being like, why is this guy not higher on prospect lists? This dude is incredible. This is He was, what, a third-round pick out of the University of Maine? Yep. And everyone thought he was just a really good defender. And then he got super strong, and now he can hit two. But you and I were just watching him in the Dominican, and it was like, like what are we missing? this dude's freaking good. What is everyone missing? And we yeah. were right. It's good to be right. Congrats to you and me, Jordan. Let's do the horn. like being right sometimes because uh, most of our postseason picks have been wrong. Um, Jeremy Pena, uh, you know, they, you know they, they let Correa go because they had a rookie who could be basically 90% as good immediately. Third base, Alex Bregman. He's been around forever. He also is kind of almost back to peak Bregman. Uh, maybe not 40 homers, but he's been amazing. Had some huge hits in the DS. In the outfield, now Michael Brantley out for the year, which means they've had to play a lot of Jordan Alvarez in left field. That has had some not-so-great moments and also some moments where you remember that he has one of the best outfield arms in baseball. So you'll see him in left. Uh, in center, it has been a mix of Ch mostly Chaz McCormick, some Jake Myers, some Rizzo Dubon, but expect McCormick to get most of the run out there. And then in right field, one of the most underrated players in the league, uh, Kyle Tucker, who uh, is a, a no BGs guy, loves to just scoop 43-degree launch angle homers. He's amazing. It doesn't necessarily always look pretty, but he is also one of the best hitters in the league. Uh, do we want to – give me give me the Yankees hitters, and then we'll go pitchers. Sure. Now, you know I live in New York, Jordan, which oh, means and, and, oh, wait, I'm I, an I, expert. I, sorry, I forgot to mention, uh, DH, uh, 
Jordan, obviously, <laughs> but also, you know, Ledmus Diaz plays. And then Trey Mancini's on the Astros. We'll get to him after. <laughs> yeah, that really turned out to make sense. He's been <laughs> terrible for them. Uh, okay, Yankees. Behind the dish, it is a combination of Jose Trevino. Sorry. Jose Trevino. Lou Trevino there is go. the pitcher. Jose Trevino is the catcher. He splits time behind the plate with Kyle Higashioka. Trevino was an all-star this year, which is kind of hilarious to think about. He definitely fell off offensively down the stretch and ended up with a 90 OPS plus, which is very funny to see next to all-star. But he's an incredible defensive catcher, probably the best framer in baseball, and they work on it before every single game. Like he's out there every single day during early work, low pitches, pulling him up. So just know that when he steals strikes in this series, there's a reason for that. At first base, Anthony Rizzo, who it's still weird he's on this team to me because he just kind of falls through the cracks. But he did end up with a whole host of homers this year. Really, really good hitter. You know the deal with Anthony Rizzo. Anything on him, Jordan? Well, he's he's just been their second best hitter the whole year. Like most consistent by far. I know Giancarlo has had his moments. Um, but Rizzo, without Rizzo, I mean, this lineup would be, there There would be truly no protection for big chunks of the season uh, for Judge. But no, Rizzo, Rizzo's been, I think, super underrated this season. 32 home runs. Uh, Glaber Torres, second base. He had 24 home runs this year. Very bizarre season where in like August, he was the worst player in the world. And then in September, he was incredible. And that all boiled down to a 114 OPS plus. Shortstop. Huh. For most of the year, I don't know if you know about this, it was a guy named Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He was Yankees fan, public enemy number one, once Joey Gallo got deported to the Gulag in Los Angeles. Now Torres, or sorry, now Kiner-Falefa, after a, a series of misplays, maybe has lost his spot, and Oswaldo Cabrera has gotten some run at shortstop. Did that happen again in, in Game 5? Yes, it did, and... It is pretty wild to see Yankees fans cry for this the basically for the last two or three months and then to get it just suddenly with their season on the line. In some ways, it makes sense. And it's also like, that's a weird time to suddenly admit you're wrong. <laughs> but hey, it happens. Uh, I'm not sure how their defensive alignment will end up because uh, I'll get to this in a little bit. So let's just say Connor Falefa at short. Um, maybe a lot of uh, Oswaldo Cabrera. I, I think Oswaldo Cabrera will be the one playing there. Mm -hmm. He is great. He is my favorite Yankee. He's 23 years old, playing shortstop. They just tossed him into this situation. I have a, I'm have working on a big article about him, but his aptitude to just adjust to being a big leader immediately is outstanding. The comp for him is better defender switch hitter Chris Taylor is the way I yes. think about Oswaldo Cabrera. Yeah, it's it's uh it's an ex exciting skill set. He did strike out ten times in the DS, um, and but he did have a big homer. Very very talented player, versatile player. It's just they're just trying to figure out exactly the best way to use him. Maybe that is the starting shortstop, which is a pretty crazy ask for a rookie. Uh, but it might be him. At third base, Josh Donaldson. <sighs> not not your favorite Yankee. <laughs> just not. Not the vibes. Donaldson was not good this year. Like, he was not good. He had some moments. He had some moments. He had the walk-off grand slam. Uh, he also had some not-so-great moments. But, yeah, he's he's not he has not been a good player 
Um, but he is still their third baseman, and he can still you know draw some walks, I guess. The highs, walk-off grand slam. The lows, being a racist. <laughs> All right, in the outfield, as we swing around, Aaron Hicks is out for the year, I believe, or at least out for the – I think he's done for six weeks. He bad injury. Bad injury in game five, yes. So who's that going to be in left? Because Giancarlo Stanton can't play outfield right now. So it seems like it'll either be Oswaldo Cabrera, and they put IKF back in there. It could be Marwin. Uh, or I don't know who – because, I mean, LeMahieu doesn't really play outfield. And then the other, the other name to mention is Matt Carpenter, who I believe has played a little bit of right but not left. So I think it'll be Marwin, which Marwin against the Astros, that'll be a thing. <laughs> but I, that'd be my best guess right now because it does not sound like Andrew Benintendi is going to be back. And that's the player they're down. So when you're watching the ALCS and you're like, Marwin Gonzalez in left field, that's because Aaron Hicks was terrible. IKF wasn't good enough to have Cabrera play left. And Benintendi, who they traded for at the deadline, is still hurt. So that's why that happened. And Stanton can't play the outfield because he's perpetually injured. Center field. Harrison Bader traded from the Cardinals to the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery at the deadline. Jordan Montgomery goes out and is just carving for St. Louis in his first five starts. He's got this nice beard. He looks liberated from the Yankees. Bader, meanwhile, goes to the Bronx, is in a walking boot. People are like, we just traded for this injured player. He comes back in September, and it's just immediately obvious the Yankees knew what they were doing. What an awesome Yankee. He's perfect, dude. It's, I, I, he's I so much fun to watch. On this I team. agree, but I mean, he was not a good hitter for his 14 games in September. And then inexplicably, he hits three homers in the ALDS. Uh, he, he certainly has played great defense, as that's really why they got him. So any offense is gravy. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. It, it has certainly looked like a good move. And the kind of, and this is part of why I think you like Oswaldo Cabrera, because one of the big criticisms of the Yankees over the last few years is they're big and plodding and slow and unathletic and just kind of... And they're still like this in a lot of ways. They really are, right? This is still most of the team. When you have Donaldson and as amazing as Judge and Stanton are, they're enormous and kind of stiff, right? Maybe this is too harsh on Judge, but still, it's just not... Even Rizzo, right? These are not athletes that necessarily you know, jump off the screen. And so just to have someone that's running around fast and diving and sliding and running the bases well is just refreshing. And that's part of why Oswaldo Cabrera is fun. And that's just part of what Yankees fans are obviously attaching to uh, to a guy like, like Harrison Bader. In right field, it's Aaron Judge. What did he do this year? He refused to sign a contract. Oh, so selfish. What a guy. That's That was it. You didn't follow anything after opening day? <laughs> well, you should check out I his numbers. I think he got a homer <laughs> off Tim Mays at one point. Yeah, you should check out his numbers. Uh, the, the only other guy to mention, I, I mentioned him briefly, is, is DJ LeMayhew, who it does sound like is coming back for this series. Now, LeMayhew actually had a solid season, albeit with a lot of injuries uh, along the way. Um, and I just, I'm very curious to see how they how they use him. I, I don't totally know where, how he would start, especially since Stan can't play the outfield. They're not going to put him at DH, but it seems like he'll he'll find his way into the games at some point, I, I would imagine. I don't know exactly what that will be, but he's the other name to mention. All right, so starting pitching matchups, unlike in the NLCS where they were rested and they lined up their pitchers perfectly, quite the opposite. 
with no, I believe this is the first time ever, maybe Rain has made this before, with no off day bef- between the end of one round and the other for the Yankees, uh, their pitching is all, all kinds of messed up, which means they're going to have Jameson Tyon going in game one against uh, Justin Verlander. In game two, we will imagine it'll be Severino against Fromber, and then that'll mean Garrett Cole likely for game three, unless he's going to come back, rush back for game two, which I doubt. Uh, so probably Cole going game three in Yankee Stadium against what I would assume would be Lance McCullers. And then they go back to Cortez for game four against, you know, whoever Houston wants to run out there. They have a bunch of options, whether it's Christian Javier, they got, you know, Urquidy, Luis Garcia, all kinds of guys. Uh, bullpen. So the Yankees bullpen, we doubted a lot of them. Uh, they certainly had a lot of injuries. It seems like Marinaccio might be back uh, for them, which would be huge. Um, but they are still missing some guys. They're missing Araldis Chapman, which is maybe not the worst thing in the world considering how the last ALCS against the Astros ended. Uh, but they're still a little short, but it seems like the guys that have been pitching, certainly how Holmes has looked, how Loisica has looked, and how whenever Wandy, who pitched in all five games of the DS, uh, it's, it's looking like a better unit. Now that said, the Astros pitching, and I'm writing about this for Fox this week, is as good as it's ever been, particularly the bullpen. And... It is still going to be an edge for Houston over New York, I think, pretty clearly, especially with the amount of rest that they got. The Yankees' bullpen and the success they've had so far this October is a really good reminder that in the playoffs, you don't need five relievers. If you do it right, if you can hit, right, Mm -hmm. they have four, really, that they use. Holmes, Loisaga, Peralta, and Trevino. Trevino. God damn. <laughs> um, and that's okay. The mm-hmm. 2019 Nationals won a World Series using three relievers. The 2022 Phillies are trying to do the same thing. And I am now thinking back to how I was watching the Yankees and analyzing the Yankees and being like, oh, no, the bullpen. And yes, the underbelly is very soft. I still do think that. I don't trust Schmidt, Castro, Lutke, Whatever. And those guys didn't even pitch, right? Castro and, and Lickie were on the roster and didn't even throw. And and Schmidt had, you know, obviously lost the game against Cleveland. So, yeah. And, and if, But if they have Marinaccio back, if he's healthy, I imagine he will jump ahead of those guys in terms of who Boone trusts. So it goes a little deeper. But, I mean, Houston is just <laughs> like, like Houston has five guys easily that they trust. And that's Presley. That's Neris, that's Stanek, that's Montero, that's Brian Abreu. All five of those guys have been relied on and good the entire season with no injuries. And that doesn't even include someone who they can throw out in long relief or as a starter in Luis Garcia or their top pitching prospect, Hunter Brown, who is ridiculous in relief. Remember, this team won an 18-inning game shutout like four (laughs) days ago for a reason. Yeah, That is very exemplary of what that bullpen does well. Right. There are a lot of guys. They're very deep. The Yankees cannot shut anyone out for 18 innings. That is impossible. (laughs) That is inconceivable for that team to do. Yes. Uh, And yeah, right. The closest they came was that the 13 inning game against the Mariners earlier this season. And that was one that Cole started. Uh, But yeah, that's just not something they can do. Now, that said, maybe the Houston offense isn't quite as terrifying as it has been in years past, but with the pitching as good as ever. It, it balances out and, and makes them, you know, as, as, as strong as, as we've seen this Astros team. Um, th- those are those are the, those are the baseball, the baseball things. Uh, should we take a quick break? Any, anything else in terms of the, the just the, the pure baseball matchup before we take a quick break and, and hit you with some storylines? Aaron Boone versus Dusty Baker is delightful. 
because so Boone was the manager yeah. in 19, but not the manager in 17 when these two teams played, I believe. I think Girardi was there in 17 still. Mm-hmm. To have these two facing off is a very funny comparison. Dusty is chasing that ring. As far as in-game management goes, I think it's about even. They're, neither of them are like incredible. I think Boone has some more questionable moments than Dusty does because Dusty, it's harder for Dusty to mess up with the bullpen because everyone is good, right? <laughs> right. So he just like puts in the wrong guy and they're still good. Whereas the Yankees, the Clark Schmidt, Clay Holmes debacle in game three is really bad. So yeah. the more I think about it and talk through it, I would honestly take, I can't believe I'm saying this, Dusty Baker's pitching management over Aaron Boone. Yeah, I think I, I think I would too, but he definitely does have, it's, it is harder for him to mess up for sure, uh, because all those guys are so good. But you know, that, that that is certainly that is certainly going to be a difference. And and I am just curious how how with these pitching matchups kind of jumbled, if that if that favors which you would assume, which is that Houston should have the edge in these first couple of games, or if you know having Cole going when they come back for Game Three is is maybe exactly where they want him uh, versus a lesser pitcher. So I don't know. I, it's it's hard to really say how that will affect it. And, and in general, it's just like they them having to just roll into this <laughs> series. Uh, with no days off is is wild. Uh, it be, would be under any circumstances, but against a team like Houston is is really hard. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with the other things we are thinking about in this ALCS. Hey, everyone, this is Lindsay Rhodes, host of the NFL Roadshow, a SiriusXM podcast, inviting you to join me three, yes, three times a week for NFL analysis that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit. On Mondays, we react to the biggest stories of the NFL weekend. On Wednesdays, we pick one topic to really dig in on. And on Fridays, I'll give you all the fantasy football advice you need in just 15 minutes. We call it the Fantasy 15. Download new episodes of the NFL Roadshow right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. We are back here on Baseball Barbacast for the end of our ALCS 2022 preview episode. Now, we talked about the ball. Let's talk about the narratives. People love narratives. People don't watch baseball for the baseball. No one likes the sounds or the sights or the cracks of the bat. People just want the tales. They want the stories. They want the narratives. It's just Game of Thrones with sweaty guys in pajama pants. They they want to see uh, teenagers in the Bronx rocking the baby as Josh Naylor trots back to the dugout after grounding out. That's why people are tuning in. And for the Astros and Yankees in their third ALCS matchup in the last six years, there are plenty to choose from. So the first thing, let's just start with the concept of the rematch. Because a rematch implies it's two teams facing off against each other. But how many of these guys were even there in 19, let alone 17? These are very, very, very different teams outside of a handful of guys. But let's go back to even 19, okay? Of course, ended in game six with a walk-off home run off of Aldis Chapman by Jose Altuve, uh, one of the more iconic home runs we've had in the last 10 years. But that Astros team, this is a couple great things just looking at, at these, not just the names, Sure, Bregman and Altuve and Guriel, but you know Springer's there, Brantley's there. None of those those guys are there anymore. Of course, Correa, Josh Reddick was still around. And here's something that stands out: Do you know what Jordan Alvarez did in the 2019 ALCS? 
one for 22 with 12 strikeouts. I'm going to go ahead and take the better than that this time around <laughs> for, for Jordan against the Yankees. Uh, and then, of course, Garrett Cole was on the Astros. That is an important thing. He went seven scoreless uh, in game number three uh, against, against the Yankees. So this is, yeah. I think we were at that game. I think we were too. Um, I'm not totally certain, but I think you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- these teams have changed a lot, as has the world, since October 2019. And I am I'm so excited to see them, them match up again, because while it is a rematch, there are a lot of moving parts here. And if we turn the clock back to 17, the only remaining Yankees from that squad are Judge and Hicks, and Hicks is hurt. So it's just Judge, right? There are no pitchers? Uh, Severino? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see pitchers. I mean, Severino. So Severino is the other one. Severino and, and Chapman, who we do not expect to be returning. So, yeah. That is pretty wild, right? And this is something I'm always curious about when it comes to matchups like this, right? The fan base cares more, the fan bases care more about the animosity here than the players do, right? Usually, and this is especially true now for Yankees Red Sox, the Yankees don't hate the Red Sox players. You know, Glaber Torres has nothing against Tristan Casas and like, you know, <laughs> Michael Waka doesn't want to stick it to Luis Severino. That doesn't exist in the same way that it did in like 2004. And you know, rivalries ebb and flow and they rise and fall, whatever. But the intensity comes from the fans in those games and the players feed off of it. And that kind of creates any wildness that goes on the field. For this matchup, I'm curious about how much is from the fans and how much is from the players. How much do the guys in the Yankees like want to beat the Astros, right? Versus how much is it the fan base in Yankee Stadium creating the energy? I think 19 was painful enough that, you know, guys like Glaber and LeMayhew, you know, and Hicks, who's, who's not there anymore, was painful enough that it is still very personal. And I think the fact that Judge is the one holdover and what 17 is and the cheating and Altuve winning MVP over him and all that stuff, even if Altuve wasn't, you know, banging away as much as or as everyone else, you know, I that is still, th- that Judge is the one link is more than enough to keep this, this fuel going uh, for sure. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of other reasons to just dislike the Astros organization, but I still agree with your point that these younger players that have come up, especially the pitchers, but also the young hitters like Alvarez uh, and Tucker, who had nothing to do with any of that. It's like, you got to respect how unbelievably good they are <laughs> and how, how they've continued to develop these guys and, and this, this pitching staff into something that is, is as fearsome as it is. And guys like Jeremy Pena, right? Like that's, what are you, what are you, what are you gonna, what are you gonna tell that guy? So, but I agree with you. I think that, that it is interesting to see the, the degree to which, but I mean, listen, these are, these are still very loud and proud fan bases and they're, they're not going to, to forget. Now, Jose Altuve in particular, you mentioned Judge leading back, but as I mentioned before, Altuve looked as lost as we've ever seen him in the DS. 0 for 16, including an 0 for 8 in that 18 inning game. He he is his. It's it, not that it's a secret that he's aggressive, right? But him, he's just swinging. Him still being that bad and still swinging at bad first pitches was one of the the funnier things 
with the context of knowing he's one of the best baseball players in the world who just put up 160 OPS plus. It was wild. Now, you know he's doing that because that's what he's done his whole career. And eventually he's just going to run into a leadoff homer and now he's back. And that's probably going to happen against the Yankees. Uh, but, but I mean, over 16 is that is a that is a significant thing. And over eight, he's certainly never done. Not a lot of guys have done over eight ever, let alone players as good as Altuve. So that is certainly uh, an interesting uh, thing to watch. Um, and and Jordan after the over seven in Game Three, but of course what he did in one and two, and what he did against the Yankees last time, I think will be will be a, a very crucial matchup as well. Now the last thing I'm thinking about is. We talk about Yankees and Astros fans and how much they hate each other. Let's talk about the rest of us. I am very curious who, and we might just have to Twitter poll this, who are neutrals rooting for? And it's way easier for people to say, like, ah, fuck them both. I ain't watching this shit. Like, I'm just going to boo every time anyone comes up to the plate. It's like, okay, sure. But just, just, just relax for a second and just honestly try to answer the question, which of these teams would you rather see celebrate at the end of this series? My answer is Houston. A lot of that is because I would like to see Dusty Baker finally win one, and I think this team is deserving of it. Now, I know there are Mariners fans listening to this, knowing I'm a Mariners fan, saying, Jordan, what the hell is wrong with you? Are you crazy? Like, how do you not hate the Astros as much as the rest of us? Of course. Sorry. I, maybe this is a flaw in my, my, <laughs> my Mariners fan brain that I can't hate them as much because I just respect how good they are. Um, and it, to me, it's still funnier for Yankees to lose than, than the Astros to lose. So... That's kind of where I'm at with this matchup, but I also recognize that having the Yankees in the World Series is probably a good thing for baseball. <laughs> so I'm back and forth. I The number one priority, right? If I was ranking things making me root or pull for one team or another, number one would be Dusty getting the ring. That's mm-hmm. way more important than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, a Philly-New York World Series... <laughs> would be just outrageous in terms of the energy bubbling up from this the stadiums in these two fan bases and you know the teams are like taking the train back and forth to the games and there there's so many away fans and everyone's traveling like it would be oh, that would be so cool right and it's funny because in t- 2009 when these teams played in the World Series Jordan mm-hmm. You and I, as young kids growing up in D.C., were like, this is the worst. Oh, my <laughs> God. These two teams are so unbearable. unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. There would still but, be a tinge of that for me. <laughs> but 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 I, I generally agree. It's much more, much more palatable this way. And if we're putting on our, like, super Yankee hater uh, hat, like, just all the way, is it funnier for them to lose to the Astros or lose in the World Series? Hmm. Mm, the world that's series. a it's an interesting debate i think the world series too <laughs> but but um yeah it's it's interesting I, I i am curious like if i if i twitter poll this like what do you think people are just gonna be like i'm not voting i hate i, I can't nuclear say. apocalypse it, that's yeah, what like, i'm rooting for <laughs> it's like just answer the twitter poll it's not that hard it's anonymous this or is don't. not going on your for your <laughs> or don't keep scrolling it's fine it's not that big of a deal i'm just asking a fun sports question let's relax <laughs> so but i am i am very curious i assume whoever comes out of the nl will be getting most of the support in the world series but for this round i am much more more curious something i'm thinking about is comparing this to the energy in the nlcs Last night at Petco Park felt almost like an epilogue, like you beat the video game and there's a bonus level for both these teams, right? 
getting to this point was as much of the World Series as as it was, you know, for a real World Series. That is not the case in the AL. Okay, this is the moment, the series, the seven games, the week and a half that the entire season has been building towards. Right? Yeah. This the, is the it. Astros. The Astros season doesn't start until the ALCS. Right. <laughs> like they can just they can sim. They sim through the season. They just wake up in the ALCS. But right, there are these two titans of the American League, like the inevitability of them meeting one another in the ALCS. We felt it all year. And so it's like, okay, now it's go time. Now the season starts. Where in the NLCS, it's like, wow, we're so happy to be here. Right? <laughs> I love the, it. I love it. The yeah. Padres and Phillies, their seasons, if they each had gotten get swept, mm-hmm. is a success. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That is not the case in the ALCS. Yeah, no oh, matter oh, the result, oh, no, no, no. it will be it will be a failure because both of these teams expected to win the World Series coming into the year. And again, you know, and first of all, let's take ten seconds to make this point, uh, guys. The postseason structure is probably not the issue when the one seeds are advancing easily in one and not in the other. It, it happens. Weird shit happens. That's fine. It's a good thing about the postseason. It's a feature, not a bug. But I, I, you're so right. The contrast is is truly hilarious, and also undeniably, no matter what the matchup is will be amplified even more once we get to the World Series, no matter who it is, right? If it's Phillies Astros, if it's Padres Yankees, it is going to be that also because the NL team is going to be playing so chill and the AL team is going to be like, first of all, they will be favored again, um, even if maybe they shouldn't be because if we've seen how strong the Phillies you know, and Padres can be, uh, if it's the Yankees, I mean, because the Astros, I think, are the best team in baseball. Um, but, but that that I'm I'm excited to see that dynamic in the World Series as well. Uh, that's our ALCS preview. I just wanted to say one more thing because again, there is some other baseball news uh, creeping out, and I just this is a mini rant that I think you'll appreciate. Yesterday, we had a headline uh, from uh, the AP because one Shohei Otani. Ever heard of him? You, you know about Shohei Otani? Shohei Otani uh, returned to Japan and did an interview. And they said, hey, Shohei, how was your season? He was like, yeah, it was pretty good, but I was disappointed. Uh, He said, we were, this is a, again, this is from the AP. I have to say that August and September in particular felt longer to me than last year, Otani said, speaking Japanese. We were not able to play as many good games as we would like, including 14 consecutive losses. So I have a rather negative impression of this season. And I saw this quote plastered everywhere. I saw people being like, oh my God, he's going to demand a trade. Oh man, Otani, he's upset. And we've now done this for three or four straight years in a row where Otani goes back to Japan or with Trout, where Trout is asked, hey, Mike, how'd the season go? And he's like, that sucked. I would like to be in the postseason. And everyone's like, Oh my God, Mike Trout's unhappy. He wants to get traded. It's like, dude, we've all been saying this the whole season. Do you think Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are like, yeah, no, we're good. We're cool. We're actually, we love losing all the time and not playing in October. They're saying what you've been saying the whole season. What you think that that changes something? Like, I, I can't believe that there's, that people are surprised and are being like, is he going to demand a trade? None of this is news. What do you think he's going to say about the season in which he was one of the best players we've ever seen and the Angels were a bajillion games under 500? What what is he going to say? What is Mike Trout going to say? It's the same thing every year. It is a hilarious reaction to the Angels experience. I agree with you that this is a headline. Anyone will click on Shohei Otani like taking a shit. So that's why it happens. I know. I think I'm more... I think I'm more... 
just kind of can't believe that not that it's not that it's story because if Tony says anything, trust us, anything it's going to be story, but that people are surprised that they're saying what we are all saying. Like, yeah, they're li- they're living it, dude. Like they are also disappointed they're not in the postseason. Let's not be shocked by that. To me, the real story would be if Otani said, what a great year. What an experience. I loved every moment of the 2022 Angels. Because that would be lying, pandering, or being detached from reality. Exactly. And to me, it's good that at the very least, he's being honest. He didn't say, I want to leave. He signed there for a reason so that he could be comfortable. Now, is Shohei Otani happy in Anaheim? Probably not. Probably not Probably as much not. as he could be on a team that wins, right? I just, when but, I see, yes. But, yes. but, as is the case with Trout, yes. I have no sympathy for these two. I sure. don't. Sure. Okay? I I'm don't have any too. sympathy. Mm-hmm. They, Trout's a little different because he got a contract the size of a small Caribbean nation, <laughs> GDP, to stay. But, like, did you have faith in this ownership group when you joined? Shohei, did you ask anyone did you ask anyone whether or not this was going to go well because it's not a shock okay yeah. remember this year oh, the angels got off to a hot start people are like, oh the angels oh, no no that no. no the angels no no, no. we it's, all know and you got to know too and yeah. Otani's going to be a free agent and he's going to leave and he should and they might trade him mm-hmm. and it's an embarrassment for the angels but we should not be shocked that these two guys might not be having a good time exactly but that's you're here. I'm, you chose this. That's you what chose I'm this life. If we're we're quote tweeting and saying like, oh, trouble issues with issues in Anaheim. It's like, yeah, there have been issues. They have the longest postseason drought despite having the two best players. That's an issue. <laughs> it's not because Shohei Otani's like, you know, the time when we lost 14 in a row, that wasn't very fun. <laughs> so, you know, that those 14 losses in a row, that was great. What a great year. That was great. I like, love living in Orange County. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So just wanted to say that. Uh, all right. Uh, that's it. That's the end of this episode of Baseball Barbacast. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-Cast. Leave us a rating and review uh, wherever you choose. And when you do so, leave us a nice rating. And then just a baseball player, any baseball player, give us a member of the Padres before the Padres were interesting. I've really enjoyed remembering Ooh. the 2014 Padres uh, during this Padres postseason run. And I would uh, I would really appreciate that. So, uh, But thank you all for listening. We hope you appreciate us churning out podcasts at this ridiculous rate. Uh, Jake Mintz, enjoy game two in sunny San Diego. And we will talk to you again later this week. That's what's in. That's what's in. Serious XM Podcasts.